Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. All right, Luke chapter 12. As we uh, continue our, our study of the ministry of Jesus in chronological order, um, we, we've, we've gone away for the last three weeks, I think, so it's just a little bit of a refresher. Where we were when we left off was we were in... Uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, where Jesus had just got done having dinner, remember, in darkness, and he was with the Pharisees and all that, and they, were, they, they got upset with him because he didn't do the ceremonial washing. And he left their house, he departed, and he found himself engulfed in, the, in a sea of people, so much so that the, the word tells us that uh, in verse 1 there that they were trampling on each other. That's how many people. I mean, there was tens of thousands of people that Jesus had just met and been engulfed in. And he began to focus on his message to, uh, to his disciples. He focused on his disciples. He's near, going near to the cross. He wants his disciples to understand that they need to be focused on eternity. And that's what we find really in Luke chapter 12 all the way through chapter 13 verse 9 is really five warnings that Jesus gives his disciples as it relates to um, the here and the now, the present versus the future. And he tells them, the first warning that he gives them is, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And we talked about the idea of how hypocrisy can just really defame the character of God before man and how it strips away the power in our lives. So in other words, don't be a spiritual actor. Be real with God. You know, just be trans- transparent with people. And, and, you know, that's what's where the real power is in our testimony is when we're transparent and we're just saying, hey, this is who I was, but this is who I am now because of what God has done in my life. And so Jesus was, was in the midst of that conversation focused on his disciples. He's not focused on the multitudes. He's not focused on the tens of thousands of people. He's focused on those people who he is going to pass the baton to when he departs from earth. And so he's speaking to you. And he's speaking to me today as well. And what we find is he, he, he gets himself into, uh, well, he doesn't get himself into anything. Some, some person decides to interrupt his teaching. And so this is where we pick it up. Stand with me. We're going to read Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, is that what you call your soul? Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And Father, we thank you for your word. Now we ask that you would just help us to clearly see what you would say to our hearts this morning. We're not amongst the tens of thousands in this crowd, Lord. We are amongst the disciples, the ones in whom you were speaking to when you taught this this parable. 
And we ask, Father, that you would help us to see how it relates to us, to understand this thing called covetousness. And, and if we're struggling with that, Lord, that we would find the remedy that you have for us. Lord, let our lives be totally focused on you, and we give ourselves over to you now. We open our hearts up to you and ask you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. The title of my sermon this morning is Clinching with Covetousness. Clinching with Covetousness. Now, how many of you know what it means to be in the clinch? You know what that means? It's a fighting term. It's used in boxing. It's used in wrestling. It's used in UFC, all that kind of stuff. I know you ladies are big into that stuff, so you probably are right with me on this. But clinching is, um, the idea of it is, is it's when, when you grab your opponent and you keep them close to you, primarily so that you can control them, so that you can be in control of their body. You know, just as I think James talks about how a bridle controls the entire body of a powerful horse, when you're in the clinch with somebody, they're controlling your whole body. They are also limiting the amount of damage that you can do to them because you're in short quarters. They can't really get full-on full punches to you. And, and, and so um, oftentimes when you're in the clinch with somebody, they're positioning themselves to take you down to get you on the ground if, if you're in, in more of a grappling kind of a role. But um, you don't want to be in the clinch with somebody that's incredibly um, proficient at that move, i.e. Anderson Silva. You don't want to be in the clinch with Anderson Silva because your, your face is going to look like it's going to be swolled up and all black, black and bruised and bloody and all that kind of stuff because his knees are going to continue to hit your face until you knock out. That's what he does, and he's very proficient at it. And nobody could beat this guy for the longest time because he was so proficient at it. That's what it's like to be in the ring with covetousness. That's what it's like. You're in the clinch. Covetousness is such an opponent that you don't want to go against it. You don't want to get into the octagon or the ring or the, the wrestling mat with, with covetousness because it will rout you, it, it, prepare, it will take you down, and it will devour you. That's why Jesus said to us in this passage in verse 15, Take care and be on guard against, and in some versions, it says all covetousness. In the ESV, it just says covetousness. Beware of it. This is a, this is a present tense imperative that he's saying that this is something that is going to be continual. It's not something that, you know, you, you have one match and it's no big deal. You, you won that battle, so you're good, and you'll, you'll constantly be over it. No, you're going to continue to battle this thing. Over and over and over again. You're going to be in the match constantly with covetousness, so take care and guard yourself against this. Now, what is covetousness? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because it is a strong desire to acquire more and more material possessions or to possess more things than other people have, all irrespective of need. If I could summarize it, and in fact, Many, uh, Paul summarizes it in one word. Um, it's called greed. It's what it is. Covetousness is greed. To be greedy. To want what you, you want what somebody else has. You know, to be willing to do whatever it takes to get that one thing that you want. The Tinsdale uh, Dictionary says, to covet is to desire inordinately, like beyond what is normal. It's like, it's like a, such an insatiable desire that you want. You know, kind of like me and cheeseburgers, although I don't give in to that. I want a cheeseburger all the time. But, but this is an innate, inordinate desire 
uh, to place the object of desire before love and devotion to God. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3 that covetousness is idolatry. That's what Tinsdale was getting at. He was saying that covetousness is, is this thing that, that overtakes you in such a way that you begin to idolize things, material things, money, possessions, relationships, anything. You can, you can covet anything. I, I can't stand it when people say, I covet your prayers. The Bible says don't covet. I hate that. Don't covet. I don't covet your prayers. I pray for me, but I don't covet anything you have because this is one of the big ten. That's how big of a deal it is to God. Like it's a ten, one of the ten commandments. It's the tenth commandment. He thought it was such a big deal that he said, i got to make this one of the big ten. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, it says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant or female servant. I know you guys are doing that. His ox or his donkey or anything that his that is your neighbor's. I know you were struggling with that down at Mule Day and you were wondering like, man, look at those donkeys. Man, I want that donkey. I'm, I, you know, and you were willing to do whatever it took to get it. God is warning all the way back in Exodus when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, he said, beware of covetousness. Beware of those strong desires that you will have for materialism. Beware of those strong desires that you will have for other people's possessions, other people's relationships. Be careful because it is idolatry. It's idolatry. Our hearts are idol factories. You know that. We love to make things to worship. We, we worship our kids. We worship, not you guys, but in general, people in general worship all kinds of things. Children, wives, husbands, you know, parents, uh, jobs, you know, uh, cars, houses, all these different types of things. They worship them. They're idols. And that's because our, our hearts are idol factories. We were created to worship. That's why this is such a dangerous thing, to covet. Because God knows He created us to be worshipers, and He knows that worshipers will worship something. And so he says, beware of covetousness. Take care of it. Be on guard against it. Now, for those, of, those people in the world that think that the Bible lacks relevancy, I think here is a prime example of it not lacking relevancy. Like this is more relevant today than I think it was when Jesus spoke. I, I think this is an issue in the world that is so profoundly taken over the world that we don't, we, we don't, we just turn a blind eye to it because it's so overwhelming. The idea of being covetous, the idea of being into materialism. Listen, we live in a consumer driven world where consumers are being consumed by consuming. You follow me? I'm a consumer. I like to consume things, and I'm so consumed in consuming that I'm caught up in this constant circle that I can't get out of. That's being in the clinch with covetousness. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, because you and I both know that at the end of the day, nothing will satisfy you. You get in that, in the clinch with covetousness, and you're, you're in a continual cycle that won't stop. You won't be able to satisfy the hunger that you have. 
You just keep going and going. Oh, if I only had this, I'd be better. Oh, now if I only had this, if I only had this, then I'd be better. And you have that thing and you just keep moving on into something else because it loses its ability to satisfy you. Only He can satisfy. Only He can satisfy us. Listen, people's possessions have taken possession of them. That's what's going on. Materialism is at an all-time high. How do we know this? Well, primarily because a $31 billion industry was created as a result of what I believe to be covetousness. It's called storage units. Listen, all of us probably have garages full of stuff, and, if, and, and maybe we have storage units full of stuff too because we're just, we can't, we're, we'll hold on to stuff. We got to hold on. Oh man, I'm going to need that like someday. I got a garage full of stuff that I said that about. I'm going to need that one day. I have a garage full of things that I said to myself, man, if only I had that, I would be happy. Do you know that one time I was, I was just uh, struggling with my diet and, you know, I was watching late night TV and I saw this uh, infomercial come on and it was one of those diet things, you know, like, I'm just like, man, if somebody would just plan my food plan, I'd be able to deal, do it. But, you know, I'm just, I can't do it. I can't plan my food plan. So I, I bought this thing, total lean body system or something dumb like that. And I got it. I got it in the mail, and I'm like, awesome, never opened it. If only I had that, you know, I sold it in a garage sale for like $2, and I probably paid 150 bucks for the thing. You know, we have all kinds of stuff like that in our garage. We have all kinds of, and some people have full storage units full of stuff that they're never going to use, that they're never going to use. That's being in the clinch with covetousness. We have TV shows called hoarders. You know what hoarders are? Coveters. When you can't get rid of something, when you hold on to something and it has possession of you, that is sin. That's what God says beware of. Don't allow yourself to get in such a way that you're being possessed by your possessions. It's crazy. Not only does it relate to materialism, but it also relates to relationships. If only my wife was like her. If only my husband was like him. If only they did this. If only they looked this way. If only they looked that way. Do you know that statistically speaking, infidelity affects 30 to 60% of marriages? If only I could have that. And you're willing to do whatever it takes to get that. And the next thing you know is what? It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. Well, I thought that if I had this person, but then that person's not who I really thought they were because, i.e., they're human too, and you, know, you, you, you realize that they can't satisfy you. There's nothing on the horizontal plane that will satisfy you. No relationship. So don't look at somebody else's relationship and say, oh, I wish I had that. I promise you there's things in that relationship you wish you wouldn't have. I promise you that there's things in that relationship that you're, you don't know anything about. God says, desire Him. Desire Him. Put your heart into Him. Give Him your all in all. And He'll give you the desires of your heart, right? Psalm 37.4. He'll give you the desires. He'll transform those covetous desires into proper desires that He will give for you. And they will match His plan for your life. Covetousness is a very dangerous opponent that you and I have to be on guard against. I divided this section up into three, three sections, three, this, this, these verses into three sections as it relates to covetousness. First, the revealing of covetousness, then the reality of covetousness, and the remedy of covetousness. First, we start with 
the revealing of covetousness. Jesus is in the midst of teaching on hypocrisy. And what happens? Covetousness comes in. Check it out. Verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Jesus is in the midst of teaching his disciples on hypocrisy, getting, and he gets interrupted from someone in the crowd that has a grievance regarding a will. You, you know the saying, right? Well, there's a will, there's a... What? Where there's a will, there's a... No, no, no. Where there's a will, there's a lawsuit. That's really the issue. Where there's a will, where there's an inheritance, there's a lawsuit. Is that not true? It's so sad. It's so sad to see people in the midst of their mourning devouring one another, dividing against one another over stuff. I can't believe she, she gave you the cuckoo clock. I wanted that cuckoo clock. She knew I loved that cuckoo clock. You must have coerced her when she was on her deathbed to sign this paper to give it to you. It's your fault. Oh my goodness. I know it sounds ridiculous, but that happens. And maybe you've been part of that in, your own, you know, in, your, in, in some sort of inheritance that you received. Where people have divided, have gotten so caught up, so coveting the things that are left over of their loved ones that they would divide against those who are alive? Does that make any sense? We're mourning those who are lost over their stuff, but we're going to divide over it and be more lonely. That makes a lot of sense. That's what sin does. Sin makes no sense. It doesn't have to make sense. But that's what's happening here. This brother is coming to Jesus and he's interrupting him, number one. You know, let me just say that timing is everything. And timing reveals the heart of a person. Um, when I come home from work, and uh, it doesn't really happen anymore because, you know, my, my wife calls me now. But uh, when I used to come home from work and my, my kids would run to the door as little guys and they would say, you know, and I'm thinking, man, they just love that I'm here. They just they love me so much that they can't wait to see me. Wrong. They're running to the door because, Daddy, do you know what so-and-so did today? They don't care about me. All they care about is telling me what, what happened during the day. So they're, they're finding joy in the, 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 the sin of their brothers and sister. They don't care about me. Timing. Yeah, I, that, you know what that tells me? Something's wrong with your heart. That tells me that when my child runs to me, the moment I get home and wants to tell me something about their, where they're finding joy in the, in the sin of their brother or sister and they want to tell me so that they can get them in trouble, they're finding joy in getting their brother and sister in trouble, that's a heart issue. That's a sin issue on their part. And, and, and as adults, we go, yeah, that's, that's funny. We do it too. We do it too. We run to others and we can't wait to tell them, oh man, I can't. Do you hear what happened to so-and-so? Man, they really got what they deserved. You know, the very first thing that you say to somebody when you meet them, heart issue. That's a heart issue. That's a heart of gossip. And you know, the, all these little things that I think the church kind of, I would call them, you know, kind of um, sins that we overlook in the church, that would be one of them, gossip. Where people overlook that as if that's not a big deal, you know. Well, we're all human, you know. At least they're not, you know, doing something worse than that. No, it's not, that's not cool. And if you partake in that, you're partaking in that sin. You know that. It's a hard issue on your part to receive it as well. So, so you're like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. I don't want to hear that. 
I don't want to hear, you know, any kind of gossip that goes on in somebody else's life. I don't want to hear that. Jesus is saying that, you know, the, 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 the framing of this situation, I believe, shows us that timing would reveal the heart. When somebody brings a, an issue up, it's, if they do it in a way where, where it's, it's kind of a, a convenient for them, you know, like, i.e., people invite you over to their house for dinner, and then you're sitting there having a great time, and then your guard's all down, and you're just relaxing them, and they go, by the way, we want to talk to you about something. And they, they didn't give you any heads up on what they want to talk about. And you get lamb blasted. Like, hey, you know, I don't really appreciate the way you talked to me last week. And, you know, I really, got, I really have an issue with that. And you're like, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, what happened here? We were just having dinner where you get lambasted. Hey, if you're going to do that, if you're, you know, and we're all about, the Bible says go to your brother if they've sinned against you. Do that. Give him a heads up, though. Don't slam them. Don't. Don't come to them and give them no, no warning to have to, so they can be thinking through the situation. I know for me, you know, I, if I have if I offended somebody, it, it was probably unintentional or, or you know, not always because sometimes I do have, I'm a sinner, right? And sometimes you can ask my family, sometimes it is intentional. But, but you know, the thing is, is giving somebody a heads up, allowing them to, you know, think about that moment. What was I thinking? Why, why did I do that? before addressing it, gives them an opportunity to explain as well. So that way you can have a meaningful conversation rather than just accusations flying, and the next thing you know, nothing edifying comes out of that. You follow me? So timing's everything. This guy comes to Jesus in the midst of his teaching. This guy has no care about anybody else in this crowd. He doesn't care that Jesus is in the midst of teaching people, he's discipling people. This guy's not there for that reason. He's not there because he's interested in what Jesus is saying. He's interested in bringing this issue up so that Jesus can give him what he wants. What does he want? The inheritance. Now, here's, here, here's the interesting thing about this is that back in this day, this wasn't a wrong, in context, it wasn't wrong to bring this to a rabbi because that is, um, that's exactly what um, you should do. You were supposed to bring it to somebody. Sorry, I got this, my headphones are bothering me. They're wrapping themselves around me and constraining me. I don't like it. But um, it wouldn't be wrong for them, right, to, to bring it to a rabbi. That's what they were supposed to do. You were supposed to run to God's word when you had a problem. In the Old Testament, that's what they did. They ran to a rabbi. And they would bring their issues before the church. Don't we have a New Testament mandate like that? I think it was 1 Corinthians chapter 6, six you know, where Paul talks about, hey, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. When, you, when one of you has a grievance, grievance against another, does he dare to go to law before, and before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the, if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Don't take another believer to court is really what's going on there. The Corinthians were doing that. But there's the mandate there. We're supposed to bring our grievances before our brothers and sisters. That's why Jesus gave that whole, that whole system of Matthew 18 thing, you know? You go to your brother, you share. If, there's, if he's not hearing you, 
Then you bring another brother with you. You're, you're bringing it before the saints, and you, you, bring, you get an arbitrator involved, a saint, somebody who's a believer. And if that's not working, then you bring it to the church, and you deal with it inside the four walls of the church. You don't just run to the courts. Oh, my, my, uh, my, my friend did this to me, and you know, uh, two, two people in the church you know, do some business deal, and the next thing you know, they're in court over it. It's like, hold on a second. If we're believers... We, we have what we need to judge, right? And here's, here's the awesome thing is this goes, beyond, uh, this goes beyond equity. This goes beyond what's fair. This gets to the heart of the issue. And that's why people don't want to run to the Word. They don't want to run to, they don't want to hear about their heart. They want to get what they get. You know, they want to get what they're after. I'm telling you as a church that we should be running to each other. Are we not going to judge the world one day? Are we not going to ro- rule with Christ? Can we not handle these things? Do we not have the, the, the understanding to do that? We do. It's His Word. And I'm thankful that I see that it's from time to time. I'm glad we don't see it often because that means things are going good, hopefully. But that is the process. Th- that's what happened back in the Old Testament. They would bring it to, to the rabbi. The rabbi would look at it according to God's Word and he would say this or that. Jesus isn't here for that. Jesus tells this guy right here, I see right through your heart as a matter of the way that you bring this situation up, the timing of it, the fact that I'm in the middle of a teaching and you would, it would be like somebody popping up right now as I'm teaching, you know, and, and it would just say, hey, 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 can you tell my brother to split the inheritance with me? Do you see the timing of that would be an issue? Be like, hold on a second, can we talk about that afterwards? You know, can, can we talk about that at another time, not in the middle of what I'm doing? There's a heart issue there. I don't care what anybody else is doing. And so Jesus sees right through that and he says, who has made me your judge or your arbitrator? Is Jesus judge? Well, yeah, he is. Who made him judge? God the Father made him the judge, right? Everyone will stand before him one day and give an account. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father, right? One day we will all stand before him. It's not that Jesus isn't saying, I'm not judge. It's not that Jesus isn't saying I'm not arbitrator, but what Jesus is saying is that's not my purpose today. I'm here to be Savior. He will come as judge. The first coming, He came as a Savior. The second coming, He's coming as a judge. And so He tells this guy, I see right through your your heart. I see right through your life. This is not a matter of equity in this guy's life. Whether or not his brother did something incorrect is irrelevant. The issue is this man's heart. That all he cares about is the possession. All he cares about is the materialism. All he cares about is that inheritance so much so that he's going to do whatever he has to do to get it. Now maybe his brother, you know, back in this day, the older brother would get the double portion. So if there were two, two brothers in a, in a family, he would get, the older brother would get two-thirds and the, and the younger brother would get a third. Maybe he wants more. Maybe he wants half and half. Maybe his brother didn't give him anything. We don't know. But what we know is Jesus didn't even, didn't even look at the facts of the issue. What he saw, what he addressed immediately was the heart. And that's what he does. This is the revealing of covetousness. Jesus is revealing to this man, you have a heart issue and I'm not one to let that go. Because I care too much about you. I love you too much that I'm not going to just pass by as if this didn't happen. So Jesus wants to 
help all of us to see that this is an issue that we all have to be on guard about. It's a revealing yes in this man's heart, but Jesus, notice in verse 14, turns from this man to those whom he was talking to, i.e. his disciples. Check it out in verse 15. And he said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist and the abundance of his possessions. Jesus takes this interruption and turns it into an opportunity. He turns from, from the man, and it says he turns to them. Now, who is them? It's his disciples. That's who he's talking to back in verse 1. He's talking not to the multitude. He's talking to his disciples, and he's warning them about the present versus the future. He's warning about the, the here versus the then, the, the, the now versus the then. When we go, you know, he's helping them to get an eternal mind perspective. Jesus wants his disciples to know that covetousness is not is something that they too must watch out for, that it can be a reality for them if they're not careful, that they can be found in the clinch of covetousness. That's why Jesus tells them, take care. Literally, that means take special notice of. Again, it's, an, it's of ongoing concern. It's not like it's over one day and you're just like, okay, I'm good with the covetousness. I'm, I'm good now. No, the moment you let your guard down, you will begin to struggle, I promise. I promise. I, don't, don't try it. Don't get yourself in that, in that, that cycle. You know, one, a pastor once said that, um, that I was sitting under one time, he said, I'll never say that I won't ever commit adultery. And I thought, man, where is this talking about i thought you know why wouldn't you say that i would say that i'll never do that but then he said the moment that i do i let my guard down hey that's smart that's being wise that's saying hey i'm not gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna say that anything's possible with me i'm gonna say that no matter how much i walk with jesus no matter how much of his word i know that if i'm not careful anything will be possible for me do you believe that in your life you need to be on guard all the time all the time you don't ever get to a place where you've arrived in Christianity. You just go, oh, I'm good now. I finally got to this status and now I'm good. I don't, I don't struggle with any of that stuff anymore. Let your guard down and see what happens. You will be lamb-blasted with sin issues in your life. Be careful. Take guard, Jesus tells these guys. You know, you, you might say, well, I'm not really a materialist. I don't really struggle with that. You know, I, 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 the reality is, is maybe um, th that doesn't have a... a a draw to you maybe materialism isn't something that you know but maybe it's something else that you're not really considering again maybe it's a relationship maybe it's a job maybe it's power maybe it's a, a position maybe it's to um to maybe it's even a position in the church well, i want to be this and if only where i were this i'd be satisfied that's coveting right i mean that, that that's desiring something it's good to have good desires but when they rule your life and when you're willing to take steps that are outside God's will to make it happen. That's covetousness. Jesus tells his disciples to be on guard constantly against this. That they need to be, uh, he's telling his disciples that there is more to life than stuff. Notice what he says there. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You know, um, I was, it, this shocked me to no end. I was talking to a guy one time and um, he said, and uh, he said to me, yeah, so-and-so passed, you know, but he really didn't amount to anything. He didn't have anything. You know, and I was like, didn't Jesus say, does one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions? 
His life didn't amount to anything because he didn't have anything material. Is that really what it comes down to? This guy was a professing believer. He's a little cuckoo, you know, but, but he was definitely way off base, way off base. And I would say that Christians, that Christians sometimes have maybe the um, exact opposite problem, that they feel like they shouldn't have anything. You know, like, like if, if you have any kind of possession whatsoever, that, that that's wrong. Listen, I can give you example after example of people that had so much it would blow your mind that were believers. Abraham. Abraham's had so much stuff that he had, he had to have servants drag his stuff around, man. I mean, he lived in a tent. I guarantee you he was wishing that there was like a mall somewhere. He could just drop some of the stuff off, maybe trade it, get, get rid of some of the stuff. He had so much. God blessed him tremendously. David, Solomon, you know, all these guys. Hezekiah, they had so much. Into the New Testament, you know, Lydia, she was a, she was a seller of purple. She, she had a ton of money. You know, you look at um, Joseph of Arimathea, disciple of Jesus, had lots. It's not wrong to have stuff. It's wrong for that stuff to possess you. It's wrong for those things to captivate you in such a way that you're finding satisfaction in those things. That's what Jesus is telling us to guard against. Prosperity is not a problem if it's in the right context, if, it's, if, if you have the right heart towards it. So, so you know, I, I mean, some Christians think, uh, you know, I hear them talking about, like, um, you know, di- different people that are successful in, 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 you know, maybe writing Christian books or whatever like that. And, and I think you can go, you know, people have all kinds of opinions about that. But here's the thing is, is God blessing that person? Is God doing that in their life? Isn't, isn't God the giver of all things? Then don't judge them. You don't know what's going on in their heart. We don't know what's going on with those people. You know, and, and, and the world loves to captivate on that thing, you know. Uh, they love to bring out, you know, oh, just tithe more or something like that. And half these guys don't even get paid by the church. Half these guys have, you know, separate entities that they deal with their books and they're tithing so much into their church that it's ridiculous. Pastor Chuck never, never took a paycheck from the church. After he started writing books, and he would, he would, he would, they'd give him a paycheck, he'd put it in the tithe box every Sunday. You know, you don't know what's going on in a person's heart. Don't judge that person on what they have. Don't judge them on, on what, you know, by, by outward appearances because they have a lot. Let me tell you something. If God's given you a lot, guess what? A lot's required of you. If God's blessed you with much, then a lot is required of you. And he's expecting you to do things that matter to him. Right? Not just to matter to you, but matter to him. And so, you know, you have to be on guard with that. But it's not wrong to have things. But here's what I know is those things don't define you. Like those things aren't, aren't going to make you somebody. They're not going to make you more righteous before the Lord. They're not going to make you appear in such a way before the Lord that, um, you know, he's going to go like, oh, wow, you really amounted to something. Look at what you have, you know. The Bible tells us that naked we've come into the world, naked we shall leave. You've never seen a U-Haul um, behind a, uh, a, a, a hearse, right? I mean, heading to the funeral home. I've got to take my stuff with me, you know. Got all their stuff packed up in a U-Haul, they're going to the funeral home. You can't take it with you. And that's what Jesus is going to move into, this parable. And uh, um, he, he goes on in verse 16, talks about this, the rich man, this rich man that had, it, it, what I want you to understand first and foremost is he was already rich. He, he already wasn't want, lacking in anything. He was already rich. He's defined as rich. So he has a lot. 
But he has a good year. He's a farmer and he has a good year and he, it says his land produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus wants us to see the danger of covetousness and how real it is in this story here. Because this man already had enough. He was rich. But he's blessed. And he's given much. And what does he do? He's totally self-focused. Did you, did you count the amount of times he said, I and my? This is my stuff. This is... I will do this and it will be my stuff and I will do this and my stuff and I and my... and He's got an I and my problem. He's focused on himself. He is totally coveting possessions and he has no care in the world about recognizing where these things come from. He's not recognizing God whatsoever in this. Why is he rich? Why is he rich? Because God's a good giver and he's a good giver and he gives, he gives to all of us. Even unbelievers, God is at work in their life, right? The enemy's at work. He's the rule of this world. I get that. And he provided Jesus with the opportunity for the kingdoms of the world and all that kind of stuff. So yes, the enemy is at work, but all things pass by the desk of God. Ultimately, he's in control of everything. Anything you have passed by his desk. He either said yay or nay to that. Ultimately, he is the one that's allowed whatever it is in your life. And he has a purpose and he has a plan for it. But this guy has no recognition whatsoever of the Lord. He is completely self-indulgent to the point that he says, I'm just going to relax. I'm just going to kick back, eat, drink, and be merry. That is the epitome of the flesh, you guys. To where you just say, oh, I just want to I'm just going to enjoy. I, I'm, and here's the thing. The guy thinks he's being smart. He thinks he's planning for the future, right? Well, I've got a great year. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger ones so I can store that stuff. And then I'm going to control the market on my crop. Okay, so maybe at times I won't release enough. What happens when there's not enough supply? Price goes up. What happens when there's too much supply? Price goes down. When it comes to crops. This guy says, I have a problem. I have a lot. And I'm not going to flood the market and reduce the price and benefit others. No way. No way am I going to do that. I'm going to hold it all back for myself. That is the epitome of greed, which is covetousness. And idolatry. Look at these barns I have built. This is my kingdom. You know? You follow me? That's what's happening here. This guy thinks he's so smart that he's so fiduciously responsible that he is planning for the future and yet he is failing. God says to him, you fool. Not a word you want to hear from the Lord. You don't ever want to hear God call you a fool because if God calls you a fool, a fool that means that you planned incorrectly. That means that you completely missed the boat when it came to uh, um, financial planning in the future about treasure. And you had the wrong treasurer. Jesus should be your treasurer. He should be the one that you're submitting yourself to, saying, Lord, what do you want to do with this? 
How do you want to plan for this? Because ultimately, everything that you have is His. I know you have a bank account that has your name on it, but it's not yours. I know that you have stuff. I know that you have registrations of vehicles and houses and all this stuff that has your name on it, but it's not yours. It's the Lord's. I have these things, and I recognize they're not mine. I know you have children that, that say that you're their parents and you're their guardian and all that kind of stuff, but they're not yours. They're His. What Jesus is showing us in this parable with this guy is that we have to recognize where all things come from. And we can't become self-focused because if we do, again, it leads right back to covetousness and all we're worried about is number one. That is the epitome of humanism. Humanism has the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. So all I care about is myself. And I'm going to do whatever I have to do to take care of myself. And it's all about me and, and everybody needs to serve me. But Jesus says the exact opposite to Christians. It's all about Him. And it's all about other people. And so if you're taking His stuff and you're holding on to it and you have such a tight grip on His stuff and it is possessing you, you have a heart issue. It's called covetousness. And God's just saying, hey, keep a loose grip on this stuff. Because as Paul said this in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, I recommend you read the entire chapter of 1 Timothy chapter 6. But here's what he said in verses 9 through 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. What's he saying? Timothy, beware of loving money. Not beware of being rich. Yes, there's a danger in being rich because the danger is that you become self-focused and you become covetousness. Do you know what J.D. Rockefeller said one time when he was uh, asked how much money is enough? Just a little more. This guy was a billionaire. Billionaire with a B. Back in the day when billionaire would be like trillionaire, like he was, the mo he was the richest man in America at one point, and he was asked how much is enough, and he said just a little more. Just a little more. We've only had a little more. And some of us have that mentality, and I promise you that he would tell you just a little more is not enough. Just a little more never ends. It'll, it's this continual cycle that you'll never ever be able to, um, to get to the end of. First Timothy six seventeen says, "For as the rich, for the rich um, in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes for uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy." Who's the provider? The Lord's the provider. All the stuff that you have belongs to Him. Don't hold on to it too hard. Don't don't hold on to it too much. Let it go, man. Let it flow out as it flows back in. It's, it's meant to be a revolving door. Your blessings in your life are, are not just meant for you to enjoy, but they're meant to be a revolving door. This thing's all over the place. Revolving door. That's what your stuff is supposed to be, right? And Jesus is telling us to this guy here. He's telling this guy, you fool. Your soul is required of you this night 
and the things that you prepared, whose will they be? You can't take it with you. This guy was planning for a, a years, a future of stuff that he was going to enjoy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Eat, drink, and be merry. I was going to party. Man, I was going to rest. I no more work. I'm just going to hang out. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm going to um, you know, just hang out and enjoy myself. He, he thought he had time. Nobody plans for death. Nobody plans for death. We all know we're going to die. And yeah, we have maybe financial planning that we're trying to prepare for or whatever like that. But, but God was telling this guy, uh, even our plans and our best planning, we still don't know when we're going to die. We still don't know when it would be the last day on earth. And he tells this guy, you didn't plan right. You thought that you could... Um, you thought that this stuff was going to sustain you. You put all your trust and hope in stuff. And you, you failed to put your trust and hope in Jesus. He tells him here, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The revealing of covetousness came through a man who interrupted Jesus. And it came through his timing and the reality that he could care less about anybody else. But he was revealing to Jesus in that moment that he was struggling with covetousness. Jesus turns from the man and he says, the reality is all of you will struggle with this. All of you, even you, my disciples, whom he was talking to, but he said there's a remedy. And the remedy is found right there in the last verse, in verse 21 there, where he says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What's the remedy for covetousness? Being rich towards God. Being focused on God. Having your mind set on things above and not on this world. Totally, eternally focused. One of my good friends always says, I don't want to have a wasted life. You may have heard that in this congregation because he's here. I don't want to have a wasted life either. Jesus said, we're going to all struggle with this. Covetousness. We're going to all yearn for things in this world. We're going to want a bigger house. We're going to want more cars. We're going to want more money. We're going to want a, a better position with our job. We're going to want... And all of that stuff is okay in the right context. But when it starts to rule your world... You know, and it starts to, everything starts to revolve around, whatever your, your life revolves around is what you worship. Whatever your life revolves around is what you worship. And if your life revolves around God, then you're going to be rich towards God. Even though all of, the, all of your money may fade away, you may, have, you may have nothing in terms of materialism in this world, you may never ever, ever experience any, any amount of that stuff, but at the end of the day, it's all temporal. But you're going to be mightily rich before the Lord. He said, you want to hear this thing? Just get your eyes on Jesus. Give me Jesus. That's all I want is Jesus. I want my life to be just totally uh, sold out for Jesus. I want to give him everything that I have. And I want to hold on to his stuff, open hands, to say, take and give as, as you please, Lord. It's yours. I want to use my home and my possessions and all the things that I have for his honor and glory. And I want to give it all. And if he says, I need to take that, 
I need you to take that and give that away to somebody else. Loosely hold on and give it away. What a joy. What a joy it is to be used by the Lord in that way. Uh, read the parable of the sowers. Mark chapter 4. There's one of the, one of the sowers. Uh, one, of the, one of the heart conditions in there is the thorny condition. And it's the one who hears the word, but it's choked out by the thorns, by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. And it chokes God's word. It chokes his word out. And it proved to be unfruitful. You know that heart condition? The person heard the word. They received it. They were excited for a second. But then the cares of the world drifted them away and they were unfruitful, i.e. they weren't believers. They got sucked in. They thought it was cool. It was just another fad. Oh, here's something that might satisfy. Right away, the, the, the enemy just brings back in. the. I see this happen so many times with new believers. You ever see that? They accept Christ and the next thing you know, their job changes or whatever and now they're working on Sundays. They, and every time that we meet, they can't meet because they, they're... they're, they're the cares of the world are choking out the word. So you have a choice to make, right? Who am I going to live for? We all got to make a living. We all have to work. We all have to do those things. And those are good things. And the Bible commands us to do those things to provide for our family. But here's the thing is, we can't let the cares of the world choke it out. Choke out God's word. It can't allow the cares of the world to choke God out in such a way that he becomes the minor and everything else becomes the major in your life. I end with this. The words of Charles Studd. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. That is the truth. That's what Jesus is getting at in this passage. The only thing that will matter when you stand before him face to face is what you did with him. What you did for Jesus and what you did for the Lord. Invest in eternity. Focus on eternity. Don't allow materialism. Don't allow you know, your bank account. Don't allow your credit cards. Don't allow any, any relationships on this earth to become the major in your life. Focus on God. Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and then all these things will be added to you. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, that you remind us of such a vital thing, Lord, to keep our eyes on Jesus that he's everything that we need. That the things of this world, Lord, although they are tempting and although they look, they look like they would satisfy us, they won't. Father, we know that this is such a tempting thing for us. You, you were talking to your, your disciples and you're talking to us this morning. I just pray for any of my brothers and sisters here today that are, that are battling, that are in the clinch with covetousness, Lord that you would help them to see that the remedy is to focus on Jesus, to get our eyes on God, to become rich towards God, to change our perspective from the temporal to the eternal, from the now to the then, from the present to the future, Lord. May we heed your warning this morning, and Lord, may you, may you bless those that are freely giving, freely receiving, freely giving, Lord. And may you continue to use them in a way. And may we all just hold on to our stuff loosely, Lord. Be willing to give it up whenever you call us to. We thank you for your son. And now as we close in this song, give me Jesus, Lord.
May you help us. If there's anything that we are holding back from you, that we would release that thing to you, whatever it might be. Maybe even come to the altar today and just lay down some things that are burdening our hearts. And may, may we cry out, just give me Jesus. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. May this be the cry of your heart. Just give me Jesus.
That's our prayer, Lord, as we depart from this place today, that we take Jesus with us and we keep Jesus the forefront of our hearts and our minds and that we would, our lives would revolve around Jesus, Lord. We, all we want is Jesus. We thank you for giving us Jesus, Lord. We ask that you would just help us to give Jesus to others now. So we go into this world, Lord, that we would, again, care about other people so much that we want to give them that which we have, the most important thing that anybody could ever receive in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you, we love you, we praise you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.